Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. You were the ones who said it first. Star Trek lives, and live it does. I just wanted to share with you something that may lift your spirits as it did mine those many years ago. All that nonsense about the dangers of mixed races living together on a spaceship or anywhere, and how some parts of our country were certain to refuse to televise Star Trek because we showed such things. The hatred that would supposedly flood our mail, turning sponsors against us. In all the years of Star Trek, we never received so much as one such letter. Not one. A dictum that Gene first put out back when we started the series, all the technology had to look like everyday stuff. So for science fiction, you establish a framework. You establish the rules. Now you've got to be honest in those rules. You can't just do anything you want to because it's science fiction. Otherwise, it doesn't become particularly believable. And this is about as science fiction as my Aunt Fanny's girdle. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center. And circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, once again, we have friend of the show, Lord Bloodraw, joining us. We're going to be discussing the state of Star Trek. Are you a fan of the original series, The Next Generation? Could it be Discovery or Picard? Are you looking forward to strange new worlds? Straight away, let's kick it up to the satellite. Karen, take it away. Thank you very much, Larry. Well, you know, I think uh, Star Trek is one of those shows that's near and dear to most of our hearts here. Oh, yes. And uh, it's, you know, it's kind of amazing now, in in a way, <laughs> to see so many Star Trek shows uh, on TV right now. I mean, what we've got, Discoveries in its fourth season, Picard in its second season. Uh, I don't watch Lower Decks, but I think it's in what, like it's... Second third or third season? I think. Coming up or third. Right? Yeah. right? There's Prodigy. Prodigy. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, in in a well, a couple of days as we record this show, but the once this show is out, uh, Strange New Worlds will mm. have already premiered. So in some ways it's sort of a Star Trek bonanza right now, if you're a Star Trek fan, if you're enjoying <laughs> the new stuff. <laughs> we'll, oh my! Will yes, oh my indeed. We'll we'll get into that a little later. Uh, so, as as Larry said, we're discussing the state of Star Trek. But one of the things we talked about before we started the show is is sort of what is Star Trek? Because you have right. so many people who say, you know, if they don't like the new stuff, they say, well, this isn't Star Trek. But, you know, we've been around a long time and we've heard people say the same thing when 
you know, Deep Space Nine came out or even the next generation came out, you know, that came right. out and, well, this isn't Star Trek because Kirk and Spock aren't in it, or this isn't Star Trek because there's no starship. So it, I was thinking about this and it's kind of like, well, what, you know, what really defines Star Trek for us as fans? And there's a lot of different aspects to the show that you could glom onto and say, this is what Star Trek means to me, you know. I think a lot of people point to the idea of the optimistic future that, you know, so many science fiction shows have dystopian futures and Star Trek has almost always portrayed the future in a very hopeful way. Right. You know, human beings overcoming their kind of baser uh, uh, emotions and, and uh things and and joining together uniting and you know going out amongst the stars uh that's certainly one thing about <clears throat> star trek that i think is uh very appealing to people but you know there's a lot of other things that i think you could say define star trek um certainly one of the things that always annoys me now is when people talk about you know oh star trek's being woke or any other show is being woke. Whenever I see somebody use that term, I usually assume, oh, they're probably a racist, sexist, homophobe, whatever. <laughs> if you think yeah. Star Trek is woke now, then you haven't been paying attention. Exactly. You simply haven't been paying attention to what the series has been saying ever since its inception. Right. I mean, you know, the show started in in 66. You had a, a bridge crew that had a black woman. I mean, this is unheard of as an officer on the bridge and a, a, a Japanese man and in the height of the Cold War, a Russian officer. So, right. well, you know, and Karen, let's let's go before that with the original pilot. You actually had female officer second in command. Right. Right. And, and that for its time was was just unheard of. So, right. This inclusivity, this right. diversity or whatever has always been baked into the recipe of Star Trek and every every version that we've had of it has had this this kind of inclusivity. And what I will say about it is that it's always been there. It's just never been like, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. It's always just been there as like, yeah, of course, this is the way things are. We're enlightened. This is the way the right. future is. Well, back then it was more uh, breaking boundaries. You know, even like the first interracial kiss on television mm -hmm, between mm -hmm. Kirk and Uhura. And so it was, yeah, it was more like, you know, breaking down these things, but you didn't have to go out there. And, you know, there weren't like, as far as I remember, there weren't articles in TV Guide or whatever going, oh, this show has, you know, a black female yeah. communications officer. Or this show has, you know, it's introducing a new, you know, Russian navigator, you know, and things. It's like, it was never like pushed as an agenda. It was just, hey, it fit in the show and the writers put them in and it was part it of worked, the story. You know? It was part of Gene the show. Roddenberry wanted, yeah, yeah. you know, this it to happen. It could also be so. a function of the, the quality of the writing. Right in mm -hmm. Star Trek today it it wasn't well there there were times that it was in the original series rather ham-fisted and and hit you over the head but for the most part the best episodes did not their messages were were subtle their messages um were um and not always not always peaceful one of my favorite episodes was a private little war Oh, right. yeah. Which was yeah. all, all about the Vietnam War without right. mentioning mm -hmm. the Vietnam War. Well, 
they mentioned the, the Bush Wars in the latter half of the 20th century mm-hmm. in Asia. That's all that they mentioned. But it was about two superpowers, in this case the Federation and the Klingons, arming one, one side or the other mm-hmm. in right. this plan, this foreign planetary war. And Kirk makes the decision to arm the other side. The Klingons have given advanced weapons to one side. Kirk decides to give more advanced weapons to, or just as advanced weapons to the other. Just the same, the right. Just, just the, the same, same, just to keep the stasis, just to keep the civilization alive. And it ends on that note. Not necessarily, Definitely not a peaceful message, but it's one that examines a problem, examines an historical or social problem. That, To me, that's what Star Trek is at its best, right. is social allegory and finding um, finding an answer to it that is generally hopeful mm-hmm. uh, based on um, the ability to adapt to mm-hmm. the situations and very, very often uh, very often peaceful, sometimes not. That's why um, I really struggled with the first season of Discovery. Really struggled with it. <laughs> then uh, struggled some more. And <laughs> by the t- but uh, the fourth season, I really enjoyed because I felt it had finally found its foot footing, and the end of the entire season long arc was all about communication. It wasn't a huge space battle. They didn't have an alien enemy they had to conquer. They found an alien intelligence that they had to communicate with. Right. That didn't even know it was causing this kind of this kind of damage to sentient life in in our, in our galaxy. Yeah, I mean that, that, that was definitely a, a callback to the earlier series and things. Oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it kind of borrowed though on that. What was that Jodie Foster movie where the aliens were like Alice and uh, Contact? Contact. Contact. Yeah. yeah, it reminded me of Contact a lot. You know, and at this yeah. point in the game, it's hard to come up with something new and original. Um, one of the original uh, series episodes, Balance of Terror. Yes. Um, it, it was a submarine episode mm-hmm. oh yeah wasn't it based on run silent run deep Sorry, yeah um yet they did it so well for the original series and i agree lord Bloodrow, with your interpretation but to me it, it showed a future where we figured it out it didn't matter where you came from what gender you were what mattered was the exploration of space. Yeah, we got into conflicts now and again. <laughs> of course. Right. But, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and what the next generation did brilliantly eventually was to show us that we could even get along with the Klingons and have a Klingon on the bridge of the Enterprise as an officer. Mm-hmm. Worf later on going to, to Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. But, you know... The original series, granted, is a product of its time, but up to this point, it's still the most solid piece of storytelling in all of Star Trek. And I love Deep Space Nine. Don't get me wrong. I, Karen and I, it, well, I think all of us had a discussion at one point in time on, uh, wasn't on Twitter, just on our Facebook, where, you know, Karen made a comment, 
maybe there shouldn't be any Star Trek after Star Trek. <laughs> and I, I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Stop it all. I, I will say that, you know, I made that comment because uh, I had been watching Picard. <laughs> and and I have to say, I, I think we've discussed it. The storytelling is not very good. I hadn't finished uh, Discovery Season 4. I'd watched about half the season. was kind of like, eh. And I started thinking about things, the the uh, new movies, everything else. And, and, just, and I'd gone back and watched some original series show uh, uh, episodes, which I hadn't done in a long while. And there is such a purity to those shows. Like you guys are talking about the, the allegory. And, and that's something that I think is, is not in vogue anymore. Nobody wants to be told, you know, you know, here's a, a, a problem or here's an issue and here's a, you know, a morality play. Right. Exactly. So. Nobody really wants to be told about something like that anymore, I guess. Maybe it's just, you no, know, it's easy with, or is it that the, the, the writing, the, we don't accept subtle writing in, in television anymore maybe that's the issue is it that the showrunners look at it and say no 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 you're not you're not driving home the point enough it, it could be i mean you look at some of the stuff like they did in picard and and they were seemed like they were trying to make a point and it went nowhere like all the stuff with ice right, right. what what was that about with yeah. with uh, rios and ice and he gets picked up and then he gets bro broken loose and it's like what there was no story there. It was just right. like to keep the characters moving. Well, it's yeah. like well, little little allegories, but see, I think like with the original Star Trek, I mean, back then, what was the biggest entertainment type TV show? It was Westerns. Westerns. Oh, yeah. And so Roddenberry got Star Trek on the air by pitching it as Wagon Train in Space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also pitching it as Not Lost in Space. <laughs> right, because right. Lost in Space beat it to the air by what a, a year almost, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, once it was on the air, then yeah, Gene Roddenberry had much grander illusions, and uh, he was able to, you know, expand the storytelling. And they got like some major science fiction writers to work mm -hmm. on that show. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just a bunch of hack TV writers. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it was like so they were able to intelligently work in, you know, different allegories and things. Right. The other thing though is catching lightning in the bottle is the relationship between Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is one of the strongest relationships or the wrong, the strongest trio of characters i think that has ever been on tv oh yeah yeah absolutely even in subsequent star trek series you know they've tried to mm -hmm. duplicate it but haven't quite gotten it you know? yeah i think you've hit on another one of those things that people see as being star trek and that is the characters the family right absolutely and for some people, like for us, we really connect with those original series characters a lot. But for a lot of people, I see a lot of people who feel the same way we do about Voyager characters. Now, That's I my niece Kayla, she loves Voyager because mm -hmm. that was her Star Trek. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. I've tried to watch Voyager. I've made it all the way through all the episodes, but 
I don't connect with any of those characters. I just really don't connect to them. I, I do. But, I, I connect to the doctor, but that, you know, that's just, <laughs> me, but, um, but like, you know, right, deep right. space nine, I really enjoy those characters. Yes. Next, next generation is eh, somewhat, but the problem there was they were stuck under Roddenberry's decree that they were all perfect, right. you know? So it made it harder to make them more relatable. Well, there, there was, a, there was a little part at the beginning of, you know, the start of Star Trek Next Generation. Before Gates McFadden kind of came on, there was that other doctor. No, no. Oh, Gates oh, this, was there. Yeah. They right. took Gates away. And they brought on Dr. Pulaski. Right. right. And the sole purpose of Dr. Yeah. Pulaski was supposed to be like McCoy mm-hmm. amped up to 11. Mm-hmm. Because all she would do is just sit there and cut data down all the time. She, right. She was meant to cut data, challenge data, yeah. and also come on to Worf. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, luckily they kind of caught on to that earlier or later, sooner or later and they kind of pushed her aside and brought yeah. Kate McFadden in as, oh. as the main doctor. But um, that, yeah, that was basically, I, that almost stopped me from watching the series. Because mm. it just seemed like overboard over the top. Yeah. The, the problem is, and I, somebody else, this is not my original thought, somebody else said this before, with McCoy and Spock, it was like sparring between equals because Spock could give back as good as he got. But with mm-hmm. Data and Pulaski, Data is like an innocent. He really yeah. doesn't, you know, know anything. And, and I mean, he's technically brilliant, but like emotionally, there's nothing there. Right. So when she makes all these jabs at him, he has no idea how to respond or what like to do. Like an infant. Yeah. 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 So it's, it seems unfair and, and cruel that she's saying all these things about him. So, But I think the I, thing between Spock and McCoy is it developed over time. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like first episode he was ragging on him. It, right. it took a while. He wasn't there. And so when that would happen, you still knew that these characters were close. Right. right. They're like brothers, but they're either ribbing each other or they're getting into arguments. But you know in the end that either one would die for the other. Right. right. And they and, were... And they, oh, go ahead. Let I was just going to say, they, they were a triumvirate. Right. Spock, intellect, McCoy, emotion, Kirk, the leader who has to uh, combine the two to find his way through a problem. Right. Exactly. And that's, and th- that, so that uh, element of humanity taken into space, it just, it just worked out, like you say, lightning in a bottle. It, it was the emotion and the logic, and they complemented each other, and they brought um, balance between the exactly. three of them, like you were saying, Lord Blood Raw, with Kirk having to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kirk would make the decision sometimes without what the uh, advice that they gave him, but he would listen to them. It was it was right. a wonderful relationship. Now, I'm one of those people that I didn't watch the first season of, of Next Generation when it came out. That was blasphemy. What? Uh, the Voyage Home came out. That was my Star Trek. It was Kirk, Spock, McCoy, uh, Sulu, and and Uhura, and Chekhov, and how dare they? <laughs> and it, it was my friend James who was like, you know, you should really check it out. It, it's pretty good. And so I started watching it, and 
you know, what, what got me was, uh, data and his relationship, his relationship with Jordy as they developed throughout the seasons, I think was stronger than the bond between him and Picard. Yeah. Not according to Picard. <laughs> yeah. That's another bizarre thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. You know, I, I also think, it was easier in the first series and, and maybe Next Generation to do the allegorical stories and mm-hmm. messages because you had single standalone episodes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's like you could watch episode one and episode eight and episode right. 15 and not be lost. Right. Yeah. I think it was pretty much in the era of Deep Space Nine, maybe the last half of the series where you had these overarching stories that would go, mm-hmm. you know, for an entire half a season or, or a season or whatever. Yeah. So when you've got these big, long stories that take multiple episodes, it's hard to say, okay, with this episode, I want to tell this story and make this comparison to mm-hmm. these things that are going on now. Right. One because of, one it's of like you, you almost have to like, I'm going to do that, but with this entire season. And then at that point, yeah, it's like, hitting people over the head with it. Yeah, that's a very good point. One of the things I did was to kind of take a quick look at, well, what was happening in 67 and 68 um, on television? Uh, Lost in Space, Mr. Ed, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, was Hogan Heroes on the... So Batman, I mean, the monkeys, what influenced them bringing Chekhov onto the Enterprise? That was... Oh, Davy Jones of the Monkeys. Davy Jones. Thank you very much. Because he was getting more uh, fan mail than any other actor in any of his t- other TV series. <laughs> right. Thank, thank you very much. So, But also, though, back then, they said the big thing in the mid-60s were the three Bs. And that was Beatles, Batman, mm-hmm. and Bond. And, oh, right. Yeah. So those were like the big three. With yeah. the Batman series, what did that do to Lost in Space? Oh, right. That's when the camp came in. Yeah, and, and there were even some episodes on Star Trek. I mean, the whole Harry Mud thing with the, uh, you know, the the duplicate uh, uh, um, androids. You know, that was a little campy. Stella. But, you, know, you take a look at Deep Space Nine. What was on when Deep Space? It was episodic, right? Television, or or was it you know the single episode? like we were used to before, because that was the same formula for the next generation. It was only after the third season, what was it, the best of both worlds, where you had a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And they introduced that more more often than not towards the latter part of, of Deep or uh, Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, I'll say, that that Deep Space Nine, the last two years with the, uh, the war, there were some... Damn good stories in there. Oh yes, uh, yeah. I mean, what was yeah, that yeah. one, guys? Where um, Cisco's giving a narrative of all the missteps that he made and the Federation made with regards to the Romulans, and if the Romulans didn't come into the war, the, in the Federation pale moonlight. Was... By the pale yes. moonlight. Yeah. Oh, I mean, in all of Star Trek, that's got to be in my top ten episodes. I and mean, there again, yeah, and, and committing. An immoral act for an ultimate moral the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, right? That was yes, uh, yeah, great, great episode, great episode, great writing, great acting. 
right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And Bob was talking, you were talking about episodic storytelling. Right. That is what uh, Strange New Worlds is supposed to be returned to. I would hope so. Uh, See, yeah, I was trying that, to think back. That's what they're saying. It's episodic. I was, I was trying to think back into the history of television. Like, what shows really kind of started the whole story arc? The serialized. Yeah. I think X Files. X Files started out yeah. episodic, and then they they had certain arcing was, things where you'd have like, this is all about the black oil or about you know right. some government plot or about Mulder's sister being abducted, yeah. right? And that would take up. But then again, they would still have standalone episodes within that arc. Well, they, they would. One of the things I found, Bob, it was Doctor Who. That would have these continuing episodes, four-parters, two-parters, as well as Dark Shadows. Mm. Oh, Dark Shadows. Well, soap operas, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah soap Dark Shadows is on like every day, so. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like an arc would last a week and you're good. Yeah. And, and <laughs> right. I, w- I will say I don't think that it has really behooved – oh, my God, what, what a word. It, I don't think it's behooved modern Star Trek – to do these season-long story arcs. No. Even those seasons are now like 12 episodes because what happens is every season we have to concentrate on some sort of huge, horrible calamity. Right. Right, whether it's uh, it's the Red Angel or it's the – what was the stupid dilithium blow-up thing? Oh, the the burn. The burn. Yeah. Yeah. Burned on the burn. It's always some galaxy killer that's. Yeah, it's some major thing that they have to deal with, right? So you can never tell smaller stories. You you can't tell, you know, you can't really focus on um, things just, you know, really about an individual or Mm -hmm. something on a smaller scale. It's like, oh, no, Discovery is the only ship and Michael Burnham is the only person who can figure out this horrible thing that's going on. And it's feels very recycled by the time we got to the fourth season even though i could tell things were improving a little bit Mm -hmm. it felt very much like the same sort of story and that oh no there's this horrible thing about to happen and the crew is the only people that is true so i would love to see them take on an episodic approach to discovery as well the thing the thing i'll say about season four of discovery though is that in my opinion it's where it should have started because, and I've said this before, originally Discovery was pitched as uh, more like an American horror story thing. Right. You had one story throughout a season, then new actors or, you know, same actors, different story, different characters, blah, blah, blah. Studio didn't want to do that, but they did stick with that overarching story thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Discovery found its footing in the future. I think that it should have started with the burn. Because you look at the second season, and they twisted themselves in knots, explaining why nobody talks about the spore drive anymore, where this super advanced ship went, why nobody mentions Michael Burnham as Spock's sister. Yeah. They, they just, you know, they, they stretched credulity beyond breaking, trying oh. to figure out how to, how to explain all of that. Whereas if they'd started... In the far future, after the, the dilithium has gone away, then you've got the story of developing the, mm-hmm. the spore drive and these characters coming together to 
you know, to, to try to uh, travel space again. I think that would have been a much better story. Yeah, but I, I think that uh, also they kind of pigeonholed themselves in because they were taking place before the 1966 Star Trek. Yeah. So you've got – and yeah. Enterprise kind of fell into the same hole. And it's like you've got all this, this advanced TV technology, mm-hmm. but you can't go past a show from the mid-60s. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't overshadow the technology of a show that happened like 40 years ago, right. 50 well, years I ago. I was able to look the other way with, with Captain Picard. That man is one hunky-looking guy. I mean – I, I, I'd, I'd switch sides for Anson Mount. Uh, oh, Captain Pike. Pike, Pike, yeah. Pike sorry, not Pike. Picard. Picard, he's like some old man now. No, yeah, <laughs> Captain Pike. That, he's one handsome dude. Pike is cool. Great actor. Pike. I'm looking forward to New Worlds. I hope it's it's great. Pike. I agree with everything you said about season two of Discovery, other than bringing in Pike and having him Captain uh, Discovery. Oh, that was great. Yeah, and, and but, him learning what his future was, yet still being true to who he was. Right. And, and it'll be interesting going into New Worlds because he knows when it's going to end. It's going to be a and major part will, of his character. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. But also, like, I mean, what were you guys surprised? Had you heard before? Were you, like, surprised when at the end of season two, the Enterprise shows up? End of season was one. It two one. Or one? It season was, one. yeah, season, oh, one. Okay, one. season one. When the Enterprise yeah, suddenly surprised. shows up? No, what? no, because when they said when they said we've got a signal coming in from a ship, I thought, here we go. Oh, that <laughs> here yeah. we go. I and ultimately, I I'm glad they did it. Although, I'm sorry, but speaking of um, uh, twisting yourself into knots, there's a massive failure on board the Enterprise, so Pike just takes command of the Discovery. What? Yeah. What? And it turned out to be the holographic communication system, which is why we will not see holographic communications right. in Strange New Worlds. Hey, lazy know. writing, I'll give you that, but, you know, I, I love I'm that Enterprise. See I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I know, I know everybody loves the elevator system, too. Uh, let's not even talk that about takes that. Up oh, like, I mean, takes up like half the ship. <laughs> well, apparently it's like the TARDIS inside the ships. There's, oh, right. there's Here's huge... the thing. In the J.J. Abrams uh, uh, Kelvin universe, Karen had such heartache over the size of the engine room. Well, no, it just looked like a brewery because that's what it was. And, and I was okay with that. I was like, okay, you got stuck in the tube and he was, you know. The, the problem is... One of the problems which really I have trouble getting past with these shows, whether it's the J.J. movies or or the series now, because you have some of the same people involved in it, is this – there's a very superficial – I feel a very superficial understanding of Star Trek, but also mm-hmm. science. And I think mm-hmm. getting back to like Bob's comments about how – Original Trek, they went out and they said, who are the really good science fiction writers? Let's get them to write for the show. With these shows, I feel like it's sort of like, hey, who are some good TV writers? We don't care if they've written science fiction. They just bring in these people who maybe have worked on, you know, nighttime dramas. And these people clearly like there's a whole long story about the spore drive and how – 
originally the spore thing had nothing to do with the propulsion system of the ship. There was some stuff with spores, but it was not, it didn't involve the propulsion of the ship. Somehow when other people got brought into the show, they said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like spores somehow had a network through the universe and we could travel to, it's like, no, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any damn sense. But in any case, yeah. They come up with all this stuff or like, oh, the elevators just magically fly around inside the ship, you know? I mean, they they have a lot of stuff. But even beyond just the scientific stuff, yeah, there's plot holes you could drive, you know, a Klingon D7 cruiser through. I mean, it's just poorly written. The elevators in the original series, I mean, it was established. You could see, and it was just a simple lighting effect, but you could see it was like, they're going okay. down, they're going sideways. up, they're going sideways. sideways that was like, yeah. Right. But it's all what? within, you know, a network of shafts. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. What could have been had the original series had the budgets that they have today? If they'd have free-floating elevators. elevators. Uh, but, I mean, talking about, I mean, the science of the original Star Trek was just always there. And it often gave you, it gave you solutions or caused problems, but they mm-hmm. would, they were applying the science the way the writers in discovery pay homage to science is to have tilly say i effing love science yes <laughs> i mean come on a, yeah. a lot of the you know? stuff is just magic i mean this episode of picard where oh. guinan says i'm gonna summon a cue oh. and they open their i dream of genie bottle <laughs> i'm like this is a fantasy show now this isn't science fiction this okay, is just fantasy and then she let out the ent roar from lord of the rings <sighs> so okay, bad. Picard, Picard two. let me just say okay it, it's not i'm not <laughs> it's not all negative i do even though it's total retconning i do like that uh they're proposing that Picard was uh, the product of um, a rough childhood with his with his his mother. His mother. by the way, we're spoiling everything. So we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That's uh, what this show's his all mother about. Committed suicide, <laughs> and he is was was dealing with that guilt. Right. Uh, I, I that 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 to me was interesting. I was thrilled when I saw that they were bringing in the supervisors, like the Gary Seven supervisors, into the story. What they did with them was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, what, what, to- when I had a problem with that, Lord Blood Raw, is up to this point, Jean-Luc had never shared this with anyone, not with Troy, not with Data. not Yeah. I didn't know. have a problem with that because he is... A reserved person. What I do yeah. have a problem with is there are scenes where he's uh, in one of the episodes. He's looking through a family album, and he's there with his elderly mother. Yeah, <laughs> who had lived so. Well, and they even tried life. to retcon that whole thing because, like, he has a hallucination of his mother serving him tea in one episode, and she's an elderly lady. And he says in yes. one of the episodes, he's like, oh, I, I I, tried to imagine my mother as an old woman. Uh, it's just like... Yeah, really? no. That, they, they think that covers really? it, but it doesn't. You know, I, I don't understand why 
this I don't see how it deepens the character for us at all or gives us anything more about the character. I almost would have rather seen a story where he was dealing with some other aspect of his, you know, uh, when he was altered by the Borg or something like that. I know we had kind of talked a little bit offline about what was Q trying to teach him and what right. did it relate to the Borg in some way or something. But this whole season has just been a complete cluster. That that first episode showed promise. Yes. I went back and watched it and I thought, oh, oh, there was all, all the places you could have gone. Right. <laughs> oh, this could have been, this could have been pretty pretty interesting you know and they they totally just blew it just, well, I'll I say, blew it. people talk a lot about gene roddenberry and rightly so the great bird of the galaxy i mean there'd be no star trek without gene but true bob justman was such an integral part of not just star trek but also the next generation mm-hmm. and you know i was sharing with you guys earlier this star trek a celebration uh, book, and this is a, a, a Desi Lu Productions memo dated August first uh, to Gene Roddenberry from Bob Justman. It says, "Dear Gene, it's important that you compose without delay our standard opening narration for Bill Shatner to record. It should run about fifteen seconds in length." And and you know the production was notorious in sending production notes back and forth, even between the actors and the producers and the writers. <laughs> but it's fascinating to read one, two, three, four. Five different writings within a, a day before they nailed you know, it started off with this is the adventure of the United Spaceship Enterprise assigned a five year galaxy patrol. The bold crew of the giant starship explores the excitement of strange new worlds, uncharted civilizations and exotic people. These are its voyages and its adventures. And, you know, Justin's like, um, you think we can kind of spice it up a little? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, wow. And you know, then it's a, I think the narration needs more drama. Follow an example of what I mean. Uh, and he gives like an, an example. Anyway, the, the finished product is space, the final frontier. Right. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think at this point, and, and not to be negative, but I and we kind of touched on this. I don't know that Discovery, um, Lower Decks I don't get. I love yeah. Prodigy. I, I do love too. Prodigy, but I, I, do I don't too. get Lower Decks. I don't either. What is it? I, I is it's not it's not a parody. It's trying to be real Star Trek with characters who would not have gotten within twenty feet of the Academy. <laughs> I, I I only saw one episode and I thought it was kind of a parody, not in the vein of a. What's the Star Trek that's not Star Trek that they say is better than Star Trek? The Orville. Yeah. I, 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 um, well, it started as parody, but now it's just another. Song. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Star Trek too. Yeah. Um, but you know, until we get to strange new worlds, I, 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 the Orville is more Star Trek than a lot of the shows have followed. But then that gets us back to what is Star Trek, right? So what, what is it about? The new shows, it's, it's, that... uh, you know, they have some arcs, but it's episodic. They're exploring, they're yeah, discovering, you know, alien races, yeah. learning how to deal with them, while also having problems. like personal problems, obviously, on the ship right. and advance the characters. And 
Yeah, it's well. Let it's, me. Ask it's you everything guys. that Picard is not. Let, let's do a round robin. We all agree we love the the original series. Next generation. Those have, who have seen the next generation. What were two or three characters that you really enjoyed their development in the next generation? If there were any, there there may not be any. Oh, you'd have wow. to say Data. No. You'd have to say Jordy. Data, Jordy, uh, and you know Worf. I yeah, I mean all all, well. all that he had to deal with with uh, being in the Federation and having to deal with his you know race back on Klingon and right. you know, all their uh, power changes and everything else. It's like right, and he was the only Klingon on board, not just the Enterprise, but a Federation ship. Right. Well, he was sort of the, he was the Spock of next generation in that manner because Spock was like quote the like the only Vulcan in the Federation oh. that he had left the space, the science academy and went to the Federation. But right, right. Well, the same with Data. He was the only android on the ship. Right, right. In the Federation as well. I mean, Data was probably the most interesting because he had the most potential for growth, whereas the other characters. Because Roddenberry envisioned everybody as perfect, at least the first few seasons while he was yeah. around, right. the writers were constrained in what they could do with the characters. But Data could grow. I think later on, yeah, we got to see more of Worf. And they, they took some risks with him. Like there was that episode with the Romulan spy who needed the blood transfusion and Worf right. would not give Worf. his blood. They mm-hmm. could have... You know, they could have had him have a change of heart at the end. He didn't. So that showed us a lot about his character. It it was a beautiful scene where Picard said, I can't order you, but I'm asking you on my knees to do this. Mm -hmm. And Worf, basically, if it's not an order, then I decline. Right. And he goes to the Romulan and the Romulan says, I believe I'd rather die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You got it, Chief. There were times where I felt like, oh, my God, he's he's so bland and stupid. But but really looking and watching the episodes again over time, he had a nice progression of character. He from grew. Both, for, yeah, from next gen and then in Deep Space Nine. Well, look, let, let's not take away the fact that at one point in time he wanted to commit suicide and wanted Riker to help him mm-hmm. end right. his life. The the advent of, of Alexander coming into his life. Oh, he was he a terrible killing. father. He was. Father. Oh, he yeah. Was. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, Fistful of Datas was fun. But, but him uh, taking revenge on Kalar mm. uh, or on the killer of Kalar. Right. Um, I think he grew more uh, in Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I One think the, Picard was a good character, too. Picard, I think it took him a while to to show his growth. But he I was think, a jerk when he was captain. Of the oh, yeah. The first, first season. I don't I don't like children. What is that child doing on my bridge? You know, think, thinking about yes, it, I think I think the character that grew the least. Yeah, I think the character that grew the least was Riker. I, I right? would say Barkley. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Riker, Riker was basically thrown in there to be the. Since you know, Picard was the intellectual type captain. Oh yeah, he was there to be the. Then, yeah, Riker was the one to go in there and take care of the action and right. adventure mm-hmm. and romance and all that. But yeah, yeah, 
But I don't think I, he ever really got out of that. I don't no. know that there was any kind of arc to his character. He was maybe yeah. the same character from episode one to the last one. He became he grew more likable. Yeah. <laughs> Once he got the beard, actually, he became more likable. But I think the episode where his transporter clone or accident oh, yeah. or whatever was probably the most interesting Riker episode uh, mm-hmm. of for me of the series. Some people like when he got the Q powers. Some people like when well, he was um, willing to quit Starfleet for that androgynous relationship. I liked, uh, uh, what was it, the Pegasus when his former commander shows that, up? and That was a good one. Yeah. But I mean, as far as and, and that's why I was so looking forward to the Picard series, you know, him standing in front of the gull and saying, there are however many lights, four, yeah. four lights, four lights. Right. Yeah. Sorry. That was, <laughs> that was a that was a painful episode. That was I mean, it was. good. It was a great episode, but. Oh, just it, it it's kind of hard to watch what mm-hmm. he was going through, going through emotionally. And and th- that's something, by the way, that's a big difference between the next generation. Well, I guess in storytelling from the 60s to the 90s, between the next generation and the original Star Trek is Kirk had aliens invade his mind. He was tortured. He went through all kinds of hell and the he next was, week he was, he was split right he was hurt. split in a in the transport split in the two never had to go back home never had to recharge his batteries there, were, the there was an episode and i i think it might have been balance of terror where like out of the blue he calls mccoy over and says i, I need another stimulant <laughs> yeah. and mccoy is like drugging him <laughs> to keep him going he didn't really <laughs> deal with consequences i mean because it was episodic you know you so you never got to see you know the week after edith keeler died right you didn't get to see him sitting on the bridge morose because he had to let the woman he loved die right so we didn't get to see all that you know i always felt like generations they had a lost opportunity where when he was in the uh what was it the the helix the nexus yeah it's getting late, so I can't remember anything. <laughs> but it sh- it shouldn't have been some like ambiguous who was it Alexander or whoever it was that he was supposedly in the nexus with. It should have been Edith Keeler. I mean, uh, it, yeah. it didn't make any sense, right? They yeah. had a that would have been gold. <laughs> Joe Joan Collins cost too much money at that point. Well, they could have just you know faked it out. Like he could have said, "I'm coming, Edith," or whatever. Right. Uh, you know? never see the woman. You right. Never, you don't. He never opens the door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or it could have oh. been Spock. I mean, there's been some fanfic out there. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I saw a Kirk Spock slash book at a convention. Oh, my. That, that Romulan concentration camp. Oh, the pond well, are hits. Anyway. Um, Roddenberry Ooh, addressed that in the novelization of uh, of the, the motion picture, the yes, first motion he picture. He says, you know, there have been there's been speculation on whether or not Spock and I actually had a physical love relationship. And he said, uh, there is that which is woman and that which is, there's that which is female and that which is male. I prefer that which is female. Unless it's Dr. McCoy who has stimulants. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless McCoy what? shoots me up with the right stuff. And then, you know. yeah, anything goes. <laughs> anything goes. <laughs> but, um, now. what? 
the great thing going into Deep Space Nine, there was no Gene Roddenberry. I shouldn't say a great thing, but <laughs> he was dead. Thank God he was gone. I gotta agree. I gotta agree. A deep, a, a, there was a point where he just bought so into his philosophy that he was doing it at the expense of telling stories. He right. The hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean yeah. like Star Trek: The Motion Picture? Kinda. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. No, I, I like Star Trek: The Motion Picture, but you know, it's like you can't you can't tell a story with all perfect people. It's impossible. Yep. It's impossible. Yeah. You can't make it interesting. Well, I think the first episode of Deep Space Nine, that is another one of my favorite episodes where, you know, the Cisco, he Mm. exists. You exist here. I what? You exist here. Mm -hmm. And just the story of him not being able to get over the death of his wife. Yes. You know, even, you know, raising his son, taking his son out to this space station out in the middle of, you know, this planet that's been at war and occupied. You know, it was almost like the the uh, Cardassians were like Nazis, kind of. You know. Oh yes. And, and oh, the Bajorans. They still you know, are. They had their oh religion. wait, wrong Cardassians. It's <laughs> 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 just not working hard enough. They now the, there's an example of a really good science fiction premise solving a small, not small, but a personal problem. They didn't have a galaxy eating entity coming towards them that you know that the, that the prophets gave him the answer to this was a deeply personal problem that one man solved right in this science fiction in this science fiction narrative uh, right. that you know like we say it doesn't have to all be the galaxy blowing up exactly i i love the character of cisco i love the development the yes. least favorite character i had on that show was bashir until he met uh garrick uh, oh, and some of the adventures he had with O'Brien, but Garrick, oh, Garrick was amazing. Uh, that actor and that character, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and enig- still an enigma, still, still an enigma. Yes. <laughs> well, and I think yeah. they had such a strong set of characters of good actors, great yes. writing, and and yeah, because they were not stymied by Roddenberry's rules on that show, you had a lot of gray areas for them to explore. Not and I, a and visitor. I mean, her character, Kieran oh, Reese, yes. Walker, I mean, some of the best storytelling for that character. I mean, uh, well, and, and it's interesting because nowadays you could look at her, was she a terrorist or was she a freedom fighter? I mean, it depends you on your perspective, to, right? Exactly. You have so, to make that decision. And one of my favorite episodes that involved her, you really, I mean, it's not, it's really not science fiction. It was, uh, no, no, it's not the defector. It's the uh, Cardassian that comes on board and she thinks that he was a prison camp Oh, right. And he leader. Keeps, he keeps promoting that idea that right. he that's, was... That's the man in the glass booth. Yeah. Oh. Written, you know, condensed down to one hour in a Star Trek episode. Not right. technically science fiction, but just an incredible bit of storytelling. Absolutely. Just amazing, amazing stuff. You know? I think... And that, I'm sorry, but by, we, we, you mentioned the acting. We'll complain about, or me personally, I complain about it with like Star Trek Picard and a lot of stuff going on. I can't fault the acting. Right. It's not the actor's fault. It's the writers. It is, it is purely the writers. Everybody in Star Trek Picard is, is 
carrying off their characters well. They're just giving, they're just carrying off what they're handed by the writers who don't know what they're doing. As yeah. someone once told me, you can't polish a turd. There you go. So, you know. Although as a horror host, I disagree with that. <laughs> Part of my job is to polish turds and present them every week. So. Uh, I, I do think it's because they were operating in that gray zone and things weren't always nice and neat and happy that a lot of people felt, oh, this isn't very Star Trek. You know, this isn't what I come to Star Trek for. But I think it was sort of because they were sort of offering a counterpoint sometimes that, you know, it was Star Trek, but it, yeah, yeah. it was like a side we hadn't always seen. Yes. And they still had, they were still working for that, you know, that future that we want, right? right. They were still working for the best goals, the best ideals, right. but it was like, Oh, this is kind of like some of the things that have to happen in order to get there. Right. You know, no, go ahead. You go ahead. I, I, one of the things I appreciate is taking an alien species like the Ferengi and giving them maybe not the same nobility that the Klingons got in, in developing Worf. Um, I love the rules of acquisition just as an aside. I can't remember what rule it is, but uh, the bigger the smile, the sharper the knife has always stuck with me. <laughs> that is good. But, you know, that that relationship that Quark had with his brother Rom mm -hmm. and and the love that Rom had for his son Nog mm -hmm. and that a Ferengi can actually join the Federation and Nog's relationship with Cisco's son um I, I, again great great writing yeah um these actors were stage for the most part stage actors yeah um I think it was Avery Brooks was in a, a man named Hawk mm -hmm. had some television Miles O'Brien you know, Colomini came from Next Gen and had been in some some films and Rene Aubergenois. I mean, you know, oh. come on. But um, one of the fun episodes, you know, we could probably do a whole episode on Deep Space Nine, but one of the yeah, not fun me. episodes. What was that, Bob? Not me. Oh. Deep Space Nine, I, I, they pretty much lost me on Star Trek and that I didn't really watch much until, uh, you know, Discovery and Picard. Oh. You know, I would be remiss. I, I wanted to talk about Darmok when we were still in Next oh. Generation. Another great, great defining Picard episode with Darmok. Anyway, um, for Deep Space Nine, for me, can't remember the name of the episode, but Worf's uh, bachelor party, <laughs> where Julian and, and uh, Julian oh, and um, people are like the debauchery of a Klingon bachelor party. And it was all suffering. <laughs> right. It's all suffering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I had speaking, you mentioned Darmok. I had a Darmok moment in, uh, <laughs> in uh, Picard season two, when Gerardi breaks into song. Oh. <laughs> I kind of thought, Uhura, on Nimbus 3. Dancing. <laughs> the feather boa, feather, feather boa. Same thing. Same thing. It's like the biggest WTF moments. Like, why why, why, why is like, this happening? Why all are you of a sudden, doing? she's singing, and they just spin the spotlight on her, and the band knows what to play. And, and security is nowhere. They don't care. Just, They're enraptured by this. Because it's a fantasy show. It's not... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It Yeah. Now, did, 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 that's a possibility. Do you think this is? I mean, I, 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 
really, really hope this isn't the case. But do you think this is all a dream? <laughs> I, I hope it's not like Tapestry. I mean, Tapestry was such a be. poignant, wonderful, you know, and the comment at the end that Picard makes to, to Riker and Riker like, oh, a brass young Picard taking on three Nausicans. Well, you know, number one. Pulling a few threads to tighten up and clean up the tapestry of my life. Right. I found that I unwound everything that I, you know, was yeah, like, that was r- brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. You know, is, is this all just like the uh, Robin Hood and his merry men? Is this think. just an illusion that fever dream? That would be unforgivable. I mean, not that this season hasn't been kind of unforgivable. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, season three, the entire crew is back. The entire crew. The entire crew is back. That was sort of a desperation move, I think. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Just, well, it'll I, be interesting to see what they do because Spiner has said he will not play data, any form of data again. Can't. <laughs> and uh, it was looking rough when he was doing it in season one. But they said he's coming back, and I'm so sick of seeing Sung, any kind of Sung. It's, it's... I agree with the Sung, but I will say for the first season of Picard, the first episode and the last episode – with Picard saying a proper goodbye to Data, because the way that they let Data die was like, you know, you're going to have to bleep me, Bob, because I'm going to... Well, you're you're talking about Nemesis now, right? Nemesis. Nemesis. Oh, my God. I just... And then to, to not even let Data have, like, a proper ending, they bring, like, was it benign or... Before. Before. Before, yeah. Um, Anyway. But, so... Picard kind of cleaned that up for me. Yeah, no, that was that's last episode. Picard won. I, I'm looking back on it. I think much more favorably now than I did. Right <laughs> the end. But it, it, I, I overall enjoyed Picard season one. It took a couple of left turns. I didn't agree with. It did some things that I thought, oh, you know, I, yeah, Lord, Lord, that? That, that's how I am with the latest Fantastic Four film. I'm like, OK, the Silver Surfer one wasn't that bad. <laughs> well, see, I don't right. know. For all, the first season of Picard, I just thought the pacing was way off, and it yeah, I was just kind of like, "Well, nothing's really happening," mm-hmm. and he's too old yeah. to really get into the action. Such possibilities. And then, yeah, and then season two, they try to make up for it, and I guess it's kind of you know, beware what you wish for, but well, and so something, and this this is purely. This isn't a comment on the well. It is a comment on the writing, but it's purely kind of an internal Star Trek thing. What happened to the discipline of the fleet? <laughs> Raffi should never have been able to say half of the things oh that God. she said to Admiral Picard. She's a train he, wreck. Oh, a total train wreck. He is an admiral. He is an admiral. Retired doesn't doesn't matter. He is an admiral. He should be ordering everybody around there. Well, because he is the he is the admiral. You don't you don't see that. And you know, talk about um, uh, lower decks. I mean, you know, uh, you've got people writing it who don't. Again, they don't have any understanding of the military, what it's like to. And I know people say, well, you know, Starfleet's not military. Well, I think. Come on, it has a hierarchy of ranks that's just that's military. You stand at it, attention for a superior officer, right? And you address it, them as sir, ma'am. Oh, 
Oh, Come on, sir. it's it's a version of military, regardless. Absolutely. And and you know, back in in sixty six, sixty seven, the original Star Trek, all these guys were like either World War Two or Korea vets. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they they knew this stuff. So they they would write it in. Most of the actors were veterans, so they just they had an innate understanding yeah. of how you behaved. People not to doing make it an, now don't. You not know? to make an excuse, but it was almost like they tried to do a Star Trek two between Kirk and McCoy. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? What the hell is wrong with you, Jim? And that whole thing about telling Kirk off, get your command back before you really do get old. Maybe she was telling Picard to, you know. Well, I mean, they whatever. did have a personal relationship before all that. It's not like she was just coming out of nowhere and. But. She was like much that. more vindictive, it seems yeah. like. And, and they're in a command situation now. They're 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 in a situation where they need like leadership and she's mouthing off to Picard. She's mouthing and, and see, off this, to this gets back to what's on television today versus what was on television back in the sixties. Mm, mm. Not to make excuses for them, but they have to compete with like Pleasure Island and Naked in the well, jungle for ten days. And... I think you have a good point there, Lair, because I yeah, like it's ridiculous. One of the problems I had with Discovery, um, gosh, I don't think it was this season. I think it, maybe it was a previous season, but like so much gunplay and so much, right. like like there was. I think it was when uh, Burnham was uh, had just gotten to the future and she was meeting up with Book or whatever, just indiscriminately. Mm shooting and disintegrating people and all this other stuff <laughs> yeah. and and it's like okay i know they think they need to do all this stuff to keep people's attention but i'm just not used to like starfleet officers indiscriminately killing people yeah. they just right. away sentient life well what? and you know? like picard uh elnor is just uh slitting people's throats and doing all this other stuff with and the badge it's yeah i i'm just like you know this is another thing. It's like, I don't know. I guess I have a, a, a different idea of what it is like. These people are supposed to be idealized. These people are supposed to be heroes. You know, they're not supposed to be. But it, 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 I agree with you, but there's no difference to me in the writer's room of the boys on Amazon uh, versus Picard. Well, that's a they're, problem. They're I competing. Think. Right. You know, that's the problem. There's. I, I'm watching the boys for a certain story and and there's some graphic parts to it and blood and, and gore that maybe I don't particularly enjoy or believe in, but that has no place in the card. I mean, it was yeah. a very gory fight with that, right. with oh, that yeah. badge. I mean, yeah. there's there's a meme that I really like, um, which has the, the Enterprise crew from the original Star Trek from the TV show. And, and I'm looking at it right now because I can't remember it. And it says, <laughs> as a child, these were my role models. From them, I learned about compassion, cooperation, determination, duty, friendship, honor, logic, love, loyalty, and self-reliance. Mm -hmm. Now, I realize that as an adult, we're not looking at these shows for those things. But I would love to have a Star Trek show on today where kids could watch it and have that same sort of – interaction with the characters so maybe strange new worlds could be that i don't know they try to do little little bit in prodigy because that is driven more towards yes 
children. Yes. Yeah. So in some of those stories, I'm 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 not saying it's you know original Trek. Uh, look, I still have a T-shirt somewhere that says "Top Things I Learned in Life." I learned from Star Trek. I've got that mm-hmm. diversity yeah. and infinite yeah combination. Right. You know, yeah. and I, I, I a disagree. red shirt. <laughs> I, I disagree, Karen. I think that as adults, we're still looking for that. We're looking for that to be affirmed. Where mm-hmm. we want to we want to believe that cooperation, compassion, love, loyalty at the end of the day will, if not completely solve a problem, at least make the situation better. And I think that Star Trek all always affirmed that. Right. And I think as adults we we still we still look for that. We look for a positive outcome. We look for like like you were saying, the 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 wrap up of Data's life. That's why that episode sticks out in, in your mind. You know, mm-hmm. the right. the the affirmation of uh, positivity is what we're still looking for, and there's damned little of it in, in new Star Trek. Well, I mean, the, the basic thing about Star Trek is hope. Yes. And yes. Uh, maybe maybe now there is no hope. That's maybe it's a reflection of the world we live in. You never know. For Season me, it was we figured it out. We made it. We got through the Cold War. Now, what does Star Trek show us? Well, now, we're, now we're going back into the Cold War. <laughs> we learned. We moved out past all that. And now we're we're going right back to it. Which something else, and this is you know deep deep in the Star Trek geek, but Picard season two, they're in twenty twenty four. They're a few months away from the Bell riots. Mm-hmm which are going to fundamentally change society. But good point. They're a few years away from world war three and the second dark age. So unless the change that is made affects that timeline. Why not? (laughs) Why not? They've already completely, completely changed the Borg, right? By the way, where is she going? 2024. Where are you going? Please tell me. I have no idea. I was like, what the, where, where is she going? What what, what are you going to go do? It's 2024. Where are you going? The other Borg are still out there. Are you going to take them on? Are you going to try to reform them? Are you going to form your own? Like a Broadway them? production like they did in the nightclub. Gerardi and the Borg Queen. Song yeah. chance. <laughs> maybe it is better if this is a, a, a mad dream. A dream. Up. It was all a dream. Uh, and you were there? And you were there? <laughs> 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 Hey, it, it could have been Robin Hood and his Merry Men. That you know, that's all oh. I'm saying. Oh, um, oh. As we're winding down here, kids, we're not going to be able to touch on Voyager too much, other than it's it's be held in high esteem to a certain generation. I don't think we mentioned Enterprise. Uh, oh, we're yeah. we're going to talk about Enterprise, uh, and Dr. that's Flox. enough. Doctor, well, okay, I'll give you Doctor Flox. Flox. <laughs> he was a good character. I love the blue bath scenes in Enterprise. Those were very er- erotic, uh, exotic. Yes. Um, <laughs> the decontamination orgies. One of the hottest Vulcans in all of like Star Trek was on that Enterprise. Yes, but but even that couldn't get me to to watch. I I watched it again, and I have to say I liked it better than when it was on the air. And it, of course it improved quite a bit in the fourth season, but then they pulled the plug. So yeah, I lost it during the whole terrorist. Yeah. That was not great. 
And then it killed me that it was all a holographic novel or something that Deanna and, and Will were watching with Dark. Uh, and it was like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. That was a, a bad way to. The Mirror episode, the, the two-parter was good, though. Yes. That's solid mm-hmm. writing. In that my was opinion. very good. And that well, they, figured into Discovery. in the Right. Mm-hmm. They yeah. had some, some nice episodes on Vulcan. They had like a three-parter on Vulcan. And uh, they did a lot of good stuff with the Andorians. So I, I think, yeah. you know, Enterprise people need to go back and kind of look at it again. Yeah. One of the characters in uh, Strange New Worlds is an Anarian, which are the, the blind albino mm-hmm. uh, Andorians. And the actor that plays him is blind. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll say then go back to uh, Voyager because Captain Janeway, great captain, mm-hmm. the the holographic doctor from where he started to where he ended up, where he actually fell in love with Seven of Nine. He developed feelings. It's a mm-hmm. fabulous uh, story arc. Who she finally winds up with, you'll have to watch it to find out. No spoilers I here. watched it. <laughs> and come on, Seven of Nine. I'm sorry. If if, if you like the female Vulcan in Enterprise, you're going to love Seven of Nine. Uh, I like Seven of Nine. I don't know who this is in Picard Season 2. But <laughs> I agree with you, Lord Blood Raw. Um, it was just the most bizarre thing to make her a Borg in the past because when she goes back to the future, she'll be a Borg again. I mean, well, anyway. And and the implants were exactly the same ones exactly she same. had before. Exactly the same. But, and a, an example of horrible writing. <laughs> Another example of horrible writing. Seven of Nine says, I tried to get into Starfleet Academy, Oh yeah, but they wouldn't let an ex-Borg in. No. I can't remember the character's name, but he was e- an... Eachim. Eachim was an ex-Borg. Picard, why didn't they kick him out? He right. was an ex-Borg. Right. And, she, and the, the writer has her say, Jane, Admiral Jane Ray, Janeway threatened to resign. And they still wouldn't let okay, her... Okay, being a person of honor, did she resign? Yeah. Did she leave or did she just say, oh, you're not. OK, uh, uh, OK, you call my bluff. I'll stay. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, no show gonna... Bible whatsoever. No continuity. No, well, they don't. They don't think through anything no, like they, 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 they go part way with something. But then they don't think about, well, OK, where would that actually go? Right. It's not just bad, quote unquote, Star Trek. It's bad storytelling. Right. Bad, story. bad writing. But now. Onto a positive, actually, I think we're I think we're trying to wrap up. But uh, Prodigy yeah. <laughs> is very good. Yes, aimed at much younger people. That first episode is more Star Wars than it is Star Trek. The very it first is. episode, mm-hmm. but is. as it develops, it's like it's it feels like Star Trek, and it's uh, the storytelling is good. They're not afraid to go dark. It is for the, the Kobayashi show. episode where they bring in like holographic Odo. Yeah, that was uh, that was just a fun episode. If you're a fan of Star Trek, check that episode out. If if nothing else of uh, of Prodigy, yeah, yeah, that quite, was, a good, I, quite a good show. I think that was the last episode I saw. I haven't finished the, the mm-hmm. season off. It, I'm not I'm not as enthusiastic as you you two are about it. You two, you 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 guys. You got you, you got to watch it through the lens of okay, this is definitely written for children, true, but they still are within that world are able to tell a compelling story, hey, a, good, a good story. 
it, it's a good point, and and I'd be remiss and not um, plugging the original series uh, animated, animated series series, uh, you know, made under the guise of children. But those stories are Star Trek stories. Absolutely. Yeah. Yesteryear, the Slayer uh, weapon. Yes. Absolutely. You know, uh, Eye of the Beholder. Man, mm-hmm. I, was well, I mean, they, they basically movie. treated that as the fourth season of Star Trek. Oh yeah, yeah. many people oh, yeah. consider it to except be for Walter Koenig. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, he did that episode for for not being able to use the music from the original series, and and they would use that animated theme over and over and over again. But it really, really works, and it grows on you. It, it's an earbud, definitely. Have you um, seen the animated? Next generation. Yes. That I that thought they did one is incredible. It's it's a little like maybe th- three four minute mm-hmm. bit. Uh-huh. They lifted the the the, the, the uh, soundtrack of an episode <laughs> oh. and animated it in that filmation style. I think it was okay. best of both worlds. I think it's best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And it is glorious. A it's where the car was abducted off of the bridge. Yeah, and it's it, it's really funny because they do a little in joke where the Borg, I think, are either like pink or purple, <laughs> just like the Klingons were in the original animated <laughs> series. Yes, all the all the all the aliens were purple. I will. You know, and it's funny because Jimmy Doohan did like probably 60% of the voice. I'm going to do like this now. Yeah, just go around. (laughs) 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 All right. So so we have some hope, I guess, for Strange New Worlds. I have things eternal. Until, Until a few episodes come on and then we come back on here and slag it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I hope Picard season three is good. I hope they looked at this last season and said, we "Okay, we're done with that. Let's tell some good stories." We, we really all. hope, really, really yeah. hope. You know, and I, the thing is, is I I am by nature very critical and and skeptical about no. things. No. <laughs> so I, I'm sitting here going, "It's probably going to suck." But the thing is. Other than perhaps Marvel Comics, nothing is nearer and dearer to my heart than Star Trek. So I, I, I really want it to be good. I right. really yeah. and I've been very disappointed the last few years. And and I don't like having to slag on Star Trek. I no. want to sit here and say, oh, the Star Trek is fantastic. I right. love it. Right. So despite my apprehension over having a descendant of Khan, on the Enterprise, <laughs> my apprehension of like, why do we have Doctor Mabenga and Chapel? He's a doctor, Jim. You know, it's just like they have such a superficial understanding of Star Trek. Is my and they they try yeah. to shove so much fan service in. I it yeah. worries me, you know. But I want to go into it trying to enjoy it so i i'm i'm very hopeful and i really would you know it's like well at least star trek is still alive yes yes something's happening with it i I have no problem with those characters being there i hope they are written and treated well from what i've seen of ahura because she's a cadet uh, at this point what i've seen of ahura it looks promising but you know we'll we'll know better but it's We'll see. Yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately, they always Paramount, the brass at Paramount always referred to Star Trek as the franchise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it made them a ton of money. None of the actors in reruns and then the movies and, and now, you know, all this Star Trek. 
out there. I'm going to make one more plug for an episode we didn't talk about, Beyond the Stars. Oh, yeah. Deep Space Nine. Mwah. Chef's Kiss. Beautiful episode. Beautifully acted. Um, man, I, I just can't say enough good things. Okay. I think we've covered all Star Trek from the original <laughs> series to Picard Season 2. Animated, fan fiction, uh, uh, you name it. We've spoken about it. It is time for our censor sweep. Uh, unfortunately, we have some sad news. Karen's going to cover the, um, actually, it's in memoriam rather than a censor sweep. Uh, Karen, take it away. All right, Larry. Well, and yes, it's another sad censor sweep. I, unfortunately, mm. we're doing these maybe more often than, well, we wouldn't want to do them at all, but more often than we'd like. Um, this last week, we learned of the passing of Neil Adams. Neil Adams. Mm -hmm. A legendary comic book artist right. uh, passed away at the age of 80. And uh, it, it's you, you just cannot uh, overestimate his contributions to the field of comic books. Um, I think everybody, well, most people would know him for basically redefining Batman along with writer Denny O'Neill. Um, in the, the uh, late 60s, early 70s, returning Batman to his more pulpy roots, mm -hmm. more gritty roots. Um, but he he had a tremendous career originally starting out. He was uh, an illustrator who started in comic strips like in newspapers. Uh, he worked on Ben Casey and Archie even. Uh, but uh, felt that he could do better in more long-form illustration and wanted to get into comics. So he uh, worked uh, initially at DC and then Marvel. He worked on Dead Man and Superman and, and of course, Batman. And then um, over at Marvel, he worked on Avengers. That's where I first saw him as a, as a wee child. Um, <laughs> my first Avengers was uh, the Kree-Skrull War, which is what uh, – Neil Adams worked on with writer Roy Thomas, and uh, he just had this fantastic photorealistic style. It was it was a cinematic style. He was like the Alex Ross of of his time. Only he didn't paint; he drew, but he he had an amazing dynamic style that was instantly identifiable and a huge influence on everybody who came after him, whether it was, you know, George Perez or John Byrne or whoever you want to think of. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, then he went to work on uh, X-Men with Roy Thomas again, and, and they didn't, didn't keep the book from being uh, canceled, but again, kind of redefined that, that team. Um, he was also quite the crusader in real life, trying to fight for uh, comic book creators' rights. He uh, helped get um, uh, Siegel and Schuster, the creators of Superman, get them their rights back uh, to get uh, make some money for them off of Superman right. because they they had basically made nothing for years and years. And, you know, DC was making Superman movies and things. And, uh, you know, he also fought to... Um, get benefits for comic book creators, um, even things like just getting the original art back mm. um, for the comic book artists. So, 
Yeah, a very beloved man in the comic book community. Indeed. Uh, certainly will be missed. And um, yeah, another figure from our childhood gone. We certainly, you know, send condolences and thoughts out to his loved ones. Absolutely. And Rest a, in peace. And just a quick um, mention too, another artist that we just recently lost was James Bama. Oh, yes. Mm. James yes. Bama, who, uh, you know, monster kids will know those great monster illustrations on the boxes of the Aurora Monster Model mm -hmm. Kit. Oh, yeah. That was right. James Bama. He also did the Docs. classic covers of the Star, um, Star Trek. Yes, he did. He, he, he did, did do Star Trek, yes. He did do Star Trek. Doc Savage. But, uh, Doc Savage. Doc Savage. Doc Savage. Doc Savage covers. Yeah. Uh, the late 60s and 70s and a lot of uh, Western illustrations and another another great artist. Yeah. He yeah. Passed away just Rest in peace. Days. Rest in peace, yes. Yes. Well, my friends, this was a this was a fun episode, and it was a lot more positive than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> what? He tried. <laughs> Kapla. See, this is, that, that was Larry's dream. Larry's <laughs> just waking Larry, up now going, oh, we said what? The dreamer or the dream, Larry? <laughs> the, 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 well, a little bit of both. <laughs> a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. Well, and then on a positive note, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. <laughs> As of this recording, I guess the last episode of Moon Knight is like tomorrow. Tomorrow. Or yes. Midnight's Tomorrow. Night. Oh, yes. Yeah. Is Moon Knight actually going to be in this episode? That would be nice. Don't know. He's been in this series a, less we'll than Boba Fett was in his series. I, You know, I find it interesting, but I do think they're much more interested in the split personality. Well, I, yeah. I guess they don't call it I, split personality anymore, but right. they're more interested in that than the superheroics. Yeah, and I'm, I'm fine with it. This is Well, that's, that's what happens when you give the lead actor a producer role. <laughs> well, that's like wow. Picard. Yeah. Well, hey, I was going to say, let's tie it back to Star Trek and talk about Picard. That's right. But no, I mean, you look at some of these TV shows and it's like, you know, Moon Knight. So you're tuning in to see Moon Knight. You're not tuning in to see some Oscar Isaac, you know, wannabe Emmy performance for a, uh, you know, in a mental institution. It's like you want to see Moon Knight out there kicking some butt. Yeah, it's, a, it's about it's called Moon Knight. Yeah, it's I, not called the Mark and thinking, Steve show. I tuned in thinking it was going to be pure, you know, kind of supernatural uh, superhero kind of stuff. I'm thrilled with Local. where it is. It's great, great writing. I, could, I, I mean, that's an it. example of great writing. Great writing, great acting, the yeah, entire I, thing. I, I I didn't. I've read some Moon Knight, but this is this is fun. I, I mean. I'm enjoying it, but I, I would like to see, at least at the conclusion, get back to, to Moon Knight. And, and I, I like the interaction of him with his god, his patron god. Yeah. That stuff is more interesting to me than the split personalities. But Well, I tell you what, let's get back together, talk about Moon Knight and Doctor Strange um, next podcast. What's that? That's a couple of weeks away? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. On that note, stay safe. Thank you for listening. Peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet 8 Cast. 
or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true.